Hello and welcome back to On the Continent, the Football Ramble daily show that once a week casts its eye longingly across to mainland Europe. I'm Luke Moore. And I'm Andy Brassel. Yes, a very good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever uh, to you, Andy, and to everyone listening. Um, Andy, how you doing, mate? I'm finding it more and more difficult to pronounce my own name as the weeks go by, actually. You go I think crazy. I might just like- change it to like sort of one word Brazilian name and Al perhaps Brasal I like that yeah um, we we um, we get into the situation don't you when you when you're doing that kind of thing when it's a bit like when you're revising for an exam and you've stared at the words for so long they no longer look like words yes um, yes that's what my spare room is like now it's a, it's a tiny six by six foot box room uh, but it feels smaller and smaller every single day <laughs> <laughs> anyway you know what you need? You need a bit of uh, Premier Sports stroke free sports on a monitor in there. I, th- I think that that would make it feel more like home. A record early mention. <laughs> a record early mention for free sports. Now available on HD, of course, everyone. Uh, not, even get, not even getting paid for this. Not even getting paid. The, the, the absolute rigour in which like commercial partnerships for Football Ramble Daily go through. They go through so many different phases and Brassel just comes in like Jesus in the moneylender's temple and just turns all the tables over with his dedication to free sports now available in HD. And we'll, we'll hear more of them later, I think, actually, as well. So you know, free sports fans, listen out for that. You know where we're going next with that, though? Uh, BBC Alba have got some Frauen Bundesliga on at the weekend. So as you know, I'm, I'm not about any particular channel. I'm, I'm about You're just making actual it free sports. That is just, mate, that is just a Andy Brassel soundboard thing to say. That, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm not Alba. actually here. I'm not actually here. The producer's just pressing a button. (laughs) How did your show go today, Luke? Yeah, Andy mentioned BBC Alba in the first couple of minutes. Hoffenheim Hoffenheim women. Hoffenheim women versus Bayer Leverkusen women, which is uh, 6.15 on BBC Alba on Friday. I'm sure it'll be absolutely great. Um, We're obviously, we've got uh, Julia Simic in our camp. Uh, She's a friend of the Ramble. Yeah, and, uh, she she's a, a German football player of some repute. Um, so yeah, I'll check it out. Look, I'll, I'll watch any football. Me, I don't mind. Um, I'll, I'll give it a bash. Maybe you can put that in your games of the week at the end of the show, Andy. I might do. All right, let's crack on then. Um, in Germany, actually, because uh, we start this week. Um, we've started the shows regularly from, from Germany, of course, for obvious reasons, and, and we expect that to change in the coming weeks as we as we as we welcome back the reintroduction of, of different countries' football around the continent. But we are going to start with Germany again this week with the news that the DFB will not be taking action on the players that express support for the family of George Floyd and called for justice after his murder at the hands of a police officer in Minneapolis last week. Um, Schalke's Weston McKenney, Borussia Mönchengladbach's Marcus Turam, and Borussia Dortmund's Jaden Sancho and Ashraf Hakimi all displayed some sort of message during their respective matches and there was some fear that this would be viewed as, in quotes, a political message. FIFA's rules state that players must not display political statements but President Gianni Infantino said on Tuesday, and I quote, uh, for the avoidance of doubt in a FIFA competition, the recent demonstrations of players in Bundesliga matches would deserve an applause and not a punishment. We all must say no to racism and any form of discrimination. Andy, what's your take on this? And is it telling that I actually felt quite relieved reading this news, chiefly because I have no faith at all in any kind of footballing authority to do the right thing in these kind of situations normally? 
Yeah, and I, I don't think it's unfair to feel like that by any any stretch of the imagination. Um, but when we talked about it being uh, potentially viewed as a, a political message, um, the, the DFB statutes are actually a, a little stricter than that. Um, they say uh, political or personal message. So if you went, happy birthday, mum, you, you, you wouldn't be allowed to do that, for, for example. Um, I think this is simply a, a, a byproduct of the times. Uh, maybe it is um, the plain fact that the, the football authorities um, feel they've got enough else on their plates that they can't be um, getting stuck into players like, like this at the moment. But I, I do think that um, the depth of feeling of this globally has forced FIFA and has forced the DFB to accept this and just let the, the players um, express themselves. I mean, when we go back to the Jaden Sancho thing, there, there were people erroneously reporting at the time. And as I said on a, a video for Football Ramble Daily um, yesterday, um, it should be clarified that Jaden Sancho was cautioned by the referee for taking his shirt off, Absolutely. not for revealing a message. Which yeah. which is which is difference because Ashraf Hakimi, for example, <coughs> showed a message, but he just like lifted his shirt. He didn't he didn't take his his shirt off. So that um, Jaden Sancho was ever um, sanctioned by the referee. He didn't have an option but to book him. We have to say that on on the current ruling, um, it was it was never about the the politics or or, or personal feeling behind it. But I do wonder that. Um, because the Bundesliga is, if, if because the Bundesliga is so in the spotlight at the moment and is trying to show its best face to the world, they're forced to accept this. And if that is the way it's coming about, then fine. You know, if if, if the right result comes from it, sometimes it doesn't really matter how you get there as long as you get the right result. And I think in this case, if this is forcing not just German football, but going into other football competitions, presumably because FIFA have had their say on it, to change, to allow players to speak out more on stuff. And basically players have, have been stepping out of their their club's party line anyway on social media for, for a while. And I think this directness is is something that's that's really important. And it's, it's something that uh, humanises players and maybe recreates a link between the players and the public um, that hasn't been there for a long time. I think people have, have felt, a lot of people who, who watch football have felt that players have become obviously a lot richer and more remote by the way that clubs run their their media operations um, in, over the last decade or so. And um, the players have almost started to circumvent that, haven't they, with their direct line to the fans. Now, that's something that's been accentuated during lockdown hasn't it i mean it's like when you've seen um people like we've talked about it on here um florian tovan uh dimitri payet um having that direct line to the fans doing instagrams like um florian tovan did one with a with a comedian for for example we talked about his, his marseille future that sort of um decontracted far more open i mean it's, it's a little bit like you know when they go on international duty they say loads of crazy shit and then they came back come back and say oh yeah it was mistranslated because they don't want to have to yeah. pay the check that that, that, that that their mouth has written um but i i think this is a, a wholly positive thing for football not just because it, it joins the dots in terms of 
um, uh, governing bodies uh, putting out an anti-racist message, it would be completely hypocritical and completely ridiculous if they were to then contradict that by the minutiae of, of their own rules. But I think allowing players to have that little bit of extra responsibility, you know, I think the world wants to see players behave like adults and have, know their own minds rather than just do what their clubs tell them to all the time. I think it's a thoroughly positive thing, not just like obviously on a human level is a positive thing anyway, but I think for football, it's a it's a positive thing if, if if players can do that. And I think if you see how that that works in say, say other sports, American sports like the NBA, the fact that players are encouraged to talk out, they're they're given an environment where they can speak out on uh, social issues and they can care about that sort of stuff, and they're not living in fear of being rebuked. By their, by their clubs, obviously, you know, there, there are other consequences in certain situations as the Colin Kaepernick situation has, has, has proved. You know, it's almost part of the brand in the NBA. And, you know, you can, you can doubt the motivations for that. But you know what? If it's a situation where everyone's got a right to an opinion, everyone's opinion is valued, and it feels as if decency is part of being part of the sport. I think that's only a positive thing. Yeah. And, and I mean, I don't know an awful lot about the NBA, but the NFL, I mean, the, the way they've behaved around Colin Kaepernick and some other, some other NFL players. And there's, there's been some stuff that's come out this week, actually from serving white players, which has been, it's been shameful. It's been, yeah, Drew Brees. Been, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's been absolutely dreadful. And um, I think the way that Kaepernick has been treated uh, shames, shames the, um, shames the sport, and I think it'll be a very dark day to look back on in history as well. I don't think it'll be mm. forgotten. Uh, the very Agreed. fact that the San Francisco 49ers put out a, a, in quotes a solidarity post on social media about Black Lives Matter um, this week after the way that Colin Kaepernick's been treated, he's basically thrown to the wolves. He's basically been blackballed mm. and never yeah. been able to to practice his um, his um, profession again. It's finished his career. The, yeah. yeah, exactly. Because he has sacri- he's had to sacrifice his career for what he believes in. Um, mm. But on on the um, taking it back to to football, because of course this is how this is how this is what we're here to talk about. I mean, I, I, the reason I I don't have any problem with 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 the with the ruling or the the kind of support, I suppose, if, if you want to use that phrase from Infantino and from FIFA around these demonstrations, is because for me it's not a political point. It's not a mm. political position. To to say that um, black people should be equal to white people, you know, it's a, it's not political. It shouldn't be seen as political. It should be seen as absolutely how we live our lives and how the world should be. And yeah. the fact that it's been dragged into the political sphere is 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 upsetting. And and the fact that people feel the need to have to do this over and over again is is very very regrettable and something that I'm as a white man I'm sh- I'm ashamed of. I mean, you know, we we've all had to take a look at ourselves over the last week or two and see if there's anything mm. we can do better. And we and we'll continue to do that. And we have to make um, the effort because we've now got to the point now a tipping point I think where. Um, to just be unracist isn't enough. Clearly, I mean, I, I was, I've, I've, you know, as, as out of touch as it might sound, I've always been fairly, um, you know, fairly content that I'm not racist. But I mean, obviously, that's not enough now, is it? We're going to have to go out there and be properly anti-racist and show some leadership on it. 
um, as as white people of amazing and immense privilege. We should recognise our privilege. We should accept it, and we should now use it for a force for good, and not for and not to be complicit in our side with us with our silence around these issues. So, uh, football can play a huge role in this, and I think FIFA have kind of you know I would argue it's come a long way, way, way too late. And I would also still be a little bit cynical about their position at the moment. I mean, they've obviously seen which way the wind's blowing, and, yes. and, and look, by all means, they're not the the the, the only big corporation or organisation to do that. And I don't think necessarily they should be singled out individually for that because lots of big organisations and companies do that. But that's what it takes. It takes. When people see things like, oh, um, oh, a corporation or a company is using something like gay pride, for example, to to um, be see, seem quite cynical and get a commercial gain out of it, that is one side of it. But the other side of it is that it needs all these big companies and corporations to actually get on board. And, and in every case, pretty much, they should have got on board sooner. But when they do get on board, they are really important in affecting change as well. So we need to see more of that, don't we? Yeah, and I think the, the point we should make as well is the the context of people speaking up here. So maybe the rules needed to be modernised. My goodness, they did need to be modernised. Yeah. But in, in terms of um, standing with social issues, and I, I agree, it's separate from political. It's absolutely separate from political. I think that the Bundesliga has is, is, is generally been pretty good in in that context um in in all sorts of uh anti-discrimination and uh, um initiatives and part of that is the power that the fans have in the bundesliga because we've seen it before obviously more um it's been more celebrated in terms of um ticket prices getting rid of monday games when we've got fans at stadiums obviously it's a different situation at, at, at the moment and i think the fact that at most clubs in Germany, you have what they call a, a fan project where um, you, you have supporters, prominent supporters um, working with fans and, you know, sort of figuring out what are we about? What do we want to stand for? I, I think that's important. I also think it's important, talking of the, the players that um, made these stands this weekend in the Bundesliga, you think Weston McKenney, of course, he's going to have his thoughts back home. He's from Texas. You think Marcus Turan earlier on the Sunday? Well, of course, he comes from you know a, a family where where activism is 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 part of his upbringing, presumably because Lillian Turan has um, a really proud record of um, not just anti-racism but um, human rights in in general. And actually, if you read. Um, uh, Matt Spiro's new book on uh, French football, Sacre Bleu. He has um, an interview with Lillian Turam in there, which is really illuminating. I think it was an extract that was used in The Guardian recently, so you, you can yeah, definitely Google it right, and, yeah. and, and see it there. It's, it's, re it's really fascinating. And so the, um, his son follows in his footsteps in that way is, is no great surprise. But as Melissa Reddy was saying on Jules and Andy earlier in the week, I think the fact that young players like Jaden Sancho come out and, and say something is, is very, very encouraging because I think sometimes, and I, I said this to Melissa earlier in the week, that um, I think for a long time I've felt, and I think others have, have felt, that British footballers are happy to be sort of apolitical, really, or, or, or you know, not get involved in, in tricky, in inverted commas, issues. But, I mean, Melissa's point was 
if you look at players like Sancho and like Marcus Rashford, players who are still young guys, you know, under 23s, far more confident and feel far more of a responsibility to take a stand on stuff and to speak out on stuff. And I think that's a, a thoroughly, thoroughly positive thing. Yeah, I completely agree. And then we've got we've all got a role to play, even if it's just to listen and to and to and to under, yeah. try and understand and to hear people's viewpoints and try and be as, as supportive as we can. And that's the role we, we have to play, and we'll we'll try and do that as much as we can. Um, should, we, should we pivot towards the actual football now? Because I'm speaking of Jaden Sancho, I do want to focus a little bit more on him and his ability as a footballer. Because I mean, he's obviously one of the hottest properties in world football. His hat trick against Paderborn. Um, did nothing but further accentuate just how good a player he is. And I was thinking, Andy, that I don't know if I've seen a player, just watching him, as ruthlessly efficient as he is for his age for a very long time. Now, of course, we've seen other wonder kids, obviously, in football, in all the years we've been doing this and all the years we've been football fans. But in terms of his decision-making and his ability to actually win games. I, I I wonder if we've seen someone like him since the original Ronaldo, actually. Now, I know that's a big statement. It's a big, bold one. But Lionel Messi wasn't doing this at 20, as far as I remember, nor was Cristiano. Now, you'd honestly think that Kylian Mbappe... But am I going too far with that? State, like sort of Sancho assessment, Andy. I mean, any, the reason I'm saying this, by the way, is because he's he's been linked to a move, with a move to Real Madrid uh, this week. It was on the front cover of AS. Um, first of all, am I being uh, fair with that assessment? Secondly, does this story with Real Madrid have legs or have they just done that thing where they just love to be linked with the biggest players in the world as a matter of principle? And thirdly, if I may, has any of this been affected by the news that came out in Build um, today that Sancho was one of several Borussia Dortmund players who broke quarantine to see, apparently, allegedly, to, to see um, a hairstylist? Well, I don't think we should be shocked by that, obviously, because even Beck takes a hairstylist on tour with him. So um, <laughs> every everyone's at it. So um, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think the Mbappe comparison is quite an interesting one. Um, I mean, for, for me, Mbappe has no recent equal. But if you analyse that, am I just saying that because... Mbappe's played a lot more games at centre forward and Sancho's a, a, a wide yeah. player. So by a certain statistical metric, um, Mbappe is demonstrably higher impact. I suppose people would say Sancho's played in a better league for a, for a, a longer period of time. Of course, um, Mbappe's weighed hard in the, the, the Champions League as, as, as well. Sancho's had his, his, his moments in that. There's, there's no doubt about it. Um, but I think that's probably the best comparison at, at the moment but it's like when people talk about we've I think I'm pretty sure we've mentioned it on here before but when people talk about uh, Sancho being part of a great new English generation of players now I'm not saying England isn't producing better players and more more technically aesthetically pleasing players than it used to be than it used to of course it is and I think um, the fact that there are more great English players uh, and potentially great young English players being produced is um, definitely a, a reason to be excited. But to say Sancho and others, it's like, come on, man. He's an exceptional talent. There's yeah. no way you can say he's not indicative of, I don't, I don't think he's, he's indicative of um, a, a particular win by the FA or um, 
the, the English system or anything like that. He is simply an exceptional once in a generation player. That, that's that's yeah, my people view. use the kind of example, don't they? So well, you know, all these young English players actually go to Germany because look what happened to Jaden Sancho. And it's like, well, yeah, it doesn't actually really work like that, though, does it? It's not it's not a formula you can just apply to any good young player and suggest he's going to go and do what Sancho's done. Yeah, well, that's been the thing, hasn't it? Like um, Rabi Matondo, for example, who took the same route from Manchester City to the, the Bundesliga. Some people have felt yeah, quite let down. What club did he go to? A Schalke. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's next door. It's pretty much the same thing. It's pretty much the same yeah. thing. But, 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 you know, the the pressure on Matondo and the expectations on Matondo have been totally unreasonable. I mean, for, for a, a 19-year-old, I think he's developing quite nicely. He's had, he's had some really good games this season. I think he's looked quite bright on occasion. You look at earlier in the season when David Wagner was playing him at a, a centre-forward, a position that really suited him, actually. I think he's quite a different player to Sancho, even though you look at dribbling and pace, etc. Um, and I think the thing is, he's developing at more of a, a normal rate, whereas the rate that Sancho is developing at is not normal. And I think because, and this is something that I feel quite strongly when people go back to the the time-worn old Messi versus Ronaldo debate, which don't worry, we're not going to restart here. Um, they are the first best players in the world that we have been able to see every week, no matter where we live in the world. Yeah. And what that means is you get totally desensitized to greatness. You know, you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure we've had this discussion before and, you know, we, we want this to be a European football show. We don't want it to be a, a Messi or Ronaldo show, but I'm pretty sure that we must have not talked about Messi some weeks where he scored a hat-trick or scored four because oh, yeah. it's just yeah. considered normal. And, you know, he has to do something like the hat-trick he scored against Sevilla last season where every goal's a belter for us to sit up and go, okay, well, maybe that was his best ever hat-trick the best ever hat-trick, you know. And I think Sancho is not there yet, of course, but he is heading into that sort of lane where what when he does extraordinary stuff, we're just, oh, well, you know, it's Jaden Sancho. What do you expect? Yeah. And he's done I that so quickly though, hasn't he? He's, like, oh, he's, he's done that so fast. He has done that so fast. And uh, it, it was interesting hearing uh, Thomas Delaney, his teammate, speaking about him on um, ESPN last week. And um, that they were talking about some of the stick he's taken since the restart because obviously he's not been properly fit. Even in the first half of this Paderborn game, you could see him playing himself in. Um, there were a couple of loose touches and he, he didn't have a great first half. People had suggested, um, you know, maybe he hadn't been looking after himself, had he put a bit of weight on. Um, I, I think that's unfounded. I think because, again, because you expect a certain um, explosiveness from him when he gets off. When you don't get that, I think you start seeing things to be honest. Mm. But um, Delaney was saying, well, yeah, he, he is getting a bit of stick at the moment. But when you have that sort of talent, you're going to have extra scrutiny with it. And that's that's just what you have to live with. Yeah, it's a good point. I think we'll see. I mean, the, the news about him and the hairdresser and the other players apparently potentially breaking quarantine has literally just broken as we record this. So mm. we will we'll keep an eye on that story with with keen interest. The Real Madrid thing, you don't given that the fact you haven't actually mentioned it, Andy, you don't think there's much in that then, presumably. Oh well, no, that's because I was on a roll. But uh, <laughs> to, 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 to me, <laughs> we I, have got I, to move I, on. So keep it very brief. We've got to move I, on. I, I will. 
Um, I think the key line in that Real Madrid story is that they don't plan on making any big signings this summer. So oh, well, how's it on the front page then, ass? For goodness sake. <laughs> well, the thing is, you get a grip on this. You, you can't allege every bit of transfer speculation with no one's got any money. You can't, you can't have that. <laughs> like, you can't have in brackets, not now, no one's got any money after every transfer headline. There's simply not the space in the newspaper to, to do that. <laughs> I said, um, like, way back, I think, I think if we look back to autumn, if I was Real Madrid, I would look to buy Jaden Sancho if they can create the space. Because the way he clicks with Hakimi, and they're definitely having Hakimi back when his two-year um, loan deal expires at, at Dortmund, I think that would be absolutely perfect. It would work really, really well for them. So if he's still on the table come to 2021, would I go in if I was Real Madrid? Yes, absolutely. Um, the other thing about um, the the hairdressing... squeeze a couple more years out of Benzema? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm always in favour of that. I mean, bring him back to Leon when he's 37. That's that's what I'm all for. <laughs> but I, I think the, the thing with the haircutting, it might seem a minor thing, especially now the league's starting. But uh, Christian Seifert, the CEO of, of, of the Bundesliga, did say right at the start before the games have restarted, um, you know, every week we have to earn another week. And so we're going to learn more about this, the chronology of this and like a full explanation, presumably from the players. But I think this is a big deal because... This is going to take all the way. For, we can't assume the league is going to finish. We have to take it week by week, not get complacent, and the players have to not get complacent. I mean, they're already cuddling a bit more on the pitch and that sort of stuff. I mean, Hertha Berlin let that bull out of the gate ages ago, didn't they? But, you know, it's something that I think the players have to be, and everyone involved, journalists who go to the stadium, TV production people, um, stewards, security staff, they have to be reminded the whole time that this is not a given, that they have to keep working on this to make it work. The supporters won't speak with me. Newspapers won't speak, speak with me. It's my, op- it's my door is open. 24 hours a day in the back. I repeat, the last time I come here for work, uh, for my career going better and better. Stop. Let's take some time um, to discuss some of the other countries around the continent now um, and provide people with an update on their respective situations. Why don't we start with Portugal? Football is officially back in Portugal. And although home advantage may be dead in Germany, I know our friend Kev Hatchard disagrees with that, but I personally think it probably is. Uh, Don't bother saying that to our Portuguese brothers and sisters because Famalicão beat leaders Porto last night 2-1. Uh, and Benfica and Sporting play tonight, so we'll see how they get on. But Andy, um, amazing result for Famalicão. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry to be like a broken record on this. Mastering these new conditions, playing under a new set of parameters is something they're going to have to get used to. And they were worth their win last night, were they not? And it's a great yes. opening win for a team who were the surprise package, lest we forget, in Portugal at the start of the season. Yeah, the the pace setters, and uh, that was particularly noteworthy, as we said on here earlier in the season, in a league where no one wins the league outside the big three, ever. I mean, literally no one. 
twice in history. And Ever. to give you to, to give you an example of what a big result this is. Uh, Famalicao had only ever beaten Porto once before, 73 years ago. 73 years ago. So this was absolutely huge. Not even you remember that. <laughs> I was just a babe in arms, to be fair. <laughs> I, I mean, you talked about the new conditions. It was quite interesting the, the, the way it actually panned out because you could hear singing, and that's because 300 of the Super Dragoish uh, supporters group, Ultras group from Porto, came to the game. Now, they were very keen to support their team, but they were also very keen not to breach social distancing. And so the leader of the Super Dragoish uh, wrote an email to Grasa Freitas, who is the um, uh, Director General of Health, to say, right, okay, we want to support our team, but we don't want to break social distancing. Seeing this kind of like touchy feeliness from an ultras group is is a real example of the weird times we're in at the moment. Yeah, I didn't really she, expect to hear that. That's weird. She, she she wrote them back a really cordial message and said, oh, "Thanks for getting in touch," uh, and uh, yeah, so, sort of gave them some guidelines and talked about not breaching social distancing. Whether that actually happened on the the, the, the night, there were reports that some weren't wearing masks, but it, it sounded like quite well behaved on the whole. Some guy let, let off a firework but on in general there there wasn't much of that anyway instead of taking the bus to the game they all carpooled so that that wasn't breaking social distancing and you know people were at least theoretically only with people from their household in in the same car also um there has been a block of flats built across the road from the ground and there were loads of people watching from there as well you know, right. very much like uh, if, if you're familiar with um, uh, South or Central London or cricket, um, at the Oval, there are these um, flats that go around the outside of uh, one of the stands at, at the Kennington Oval where you can like overlook um, test matches and all that sort of stuff. So it's a very similar situation to that. All the way that the corners are filled in at Brisbane Road, the Leighton Orient ground, yeah, which apparently... Um, when Barry Hearn was in charge, he used to use lots of those to house loan players who presumably are the last people who are going to come out on their balconies and and watch it, even if they're not playing. But anyway, um, so it created a very interesting sort of atmosphere. And when the final whistle went um, and for Malakau had won, you could see all these fireworks going off in the distance as their fans in crowd, it, it, who weren't at the ground celebrated their... Their, their win um but in terms of the title race it's interesting because porto had worked so hard uh pre season stoppage like they were seven points behind benfica at one point mm. they've won both classicos so they've had to do it the hard way they got themselves back on top they could have had an even bigger lead but they dropped points in the last game before the shutdown and now, if Benfica beat Tondela on Thursday night, as we record, which is so tonight, also, basically, yeah, 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 which is also free on British Telly, um, they've got that, there it and is they've again. got <laughs> they've got uh, well, you can see that, and you can see Gimenez against Sporting like di- directly afterwards. Um, so, if Benfica beat Tondela, they're back on top of the league, and that must be so infuriating for. For Porto, I mean, I understand, as you say, there are new conditions to master and all that sort of stuff. But even though there wasn't much dazzle to their play, 
they could and probably should have have won the game. Like I said, I thought for Malakau were very very well organised. Um, that they they took their chances, and um, but 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 the goals. Uh, Machesin, uh, the goalkeeper, who's actually come in and done a really good job for replacing Ika Casillas, made two horrendous errors. The first, um, he kicked straight. It, it, he, he was under pressure and he kicked the ball straight to. Um, Fabio Martins, who who just rolled it in, and then when Porto had, had, had got a leveler, um, uh, for Malakau got the win of like probably about three minutes after that, and Marchesin again could have done a, a, a little bit better at his his near post. Um, Porto obviously complained about the refereeing, and when you they they, they, could, they could have had a, a couple of penalties. There's no doubt. That's about not that. that's not new conditions, is it? No, well, I'll tell you what though. You know when when you we've been saying before, like how you 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 notice what players are leaders, and people have been talking about David Alaba, for example, um, talking talking all the way th- through a game. Um, you do notice, say, if you compare um, Liga Nosh to the Bundesliga, Portuguese players complain a hell of a lot more, or, or players yeah. in the Portuguese league complain a hell of a lot. More. So much chip, just. Oh, <laughs> Goodness sakes, just leave it. No wonder you're knackered at the end. <laughs> I'm just thinking of Pepe now. Um, yeah. Who's, who never, never, never shut up. Um, I was speaking of Porto, Andy. I believe there's presidential elections this weekend. Um, yeah, there as are. Well. So that's yeah, there are. It's not just FFP issues as well at the club, eh? Yeah, well, it's it's not just Pinto da Costa standing, um, and, and bear in mind that How this guy... How long has he been there for, by the way? Because he's an old-timer now. Oh yeah, I mean he's he's eighty two years old and yeah. he has been at the club for thirty eight years. Yeah, thirty eight years, and uh, they asked him about it, and he's like, "Yeah, I think this might be uh, my last term in charge." <laughs> so um, at, at least he can not uh, not definite though. He's not definite on that. Yeah, and also also he's been he's been really quite grumpy with some of the other candidates, presumably because firstly there are other candidates, um, but there's there's been pressure on him because of the financial fettle of the club. Because compared to Benfica, then they're not in 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 great financial nick. I mean, I think it's quite notable that Benfica and their president Luis Felipe Vieira has always been very firm on that we're not asking anyone to take pay cuts during the pandemic. Mm. And on one hand, you think, oh, that's nice. And on the other hand, you think it's it's a way of them showing that they're financially powerful. They've sold players much, much more effectively than Porto over over the last decade. Well, it might not be um, easy for Porto to better sell them as well now because of because of the obvious situation. Well, that's the point, Luke, that um, Pinto da Costa has made when he's defended his record, and you know, obviously, there the, the, is it's still a work in progress. Their financial fair play position, he said. Um, earlier this week, that I, I had 147 million euros of sales agreed, and now they're right. all on hold. And I think we can have sympathy with that. But on the other hand, people have been going through the team and going, 147 million euros, really? Who are you selling? Because <laughs> I, I, I mean, so, some of them there there are obvious ones. I suspect like Musa Marega is coming to the Premier League. Alex Telles, um, the left back, is is brilliant. He's such a good creator as well as defender. Um, he's been heavily linked to to Paris Saint Germain and a few other clubs. Um, but 147 million euros does sound like selling the whole team to me. So um, 
whether that was i mean there's no real way of proving it because these sales aren't, aren't really going to happen now but when people have challenged his his record and specifically the fact that while benfica have been selling so effectively you know bear in mind they sold joao felix last summer albeit they were kind of forced to when atletico hit his buyout clause you know it was a a, a plentiful buyout clause and they made a lot of money for a 19 year old at the same time um hector Herrera and Yasin Brahimi left Porto for nothing. Like, like they're two best midfield players. It's and absolutely vital for the model in Portugal for that not to happen, isn't it, as well? Yeah, I mean, they, they, don't, they don't get a fraction of the TV money. I mean, you think of the mm. biggest clubs in, in Portugal, you think of Porto and Benfica, they get far less TV money than the team that finishes bottom of the Premier League. Or, you know, to put it another way, if you compare what a lot of people would say was a similar, in inverted commas, second-tier European League, um, Porto and Benfica get about a quarter of the TV money that, say, Lyon do. Mm. You know, it's, mm. or, or Marseille. It's a massive difference, massive difference. And, and yeah, you're right, they do rely on that money. Yeah, and but I mean, overall, listen, it's, it's great for for the Portuguese football fans that their their home league is back, and and hopefully we we it will continue safely and and healthily, and and people will have some football to watch because obviously, as most countries in Europe, they're football mad, and we're, and we're pleased to see a, a, a return to, to 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 the to the domestic league there in Italy. Andy, Serie A will be back on Saturday, June twentieth. Obviously, the games will be behind closed doors. But interestingly enough, I found this quite an interesting talking point, actually. On Monday, the head of the Italian Football Federation, Gabriele Gravina, said he'd like to see fans back in some capacity before the end of the current season, which to me seems amazingly ambitious. But I wouldn't profess to be an expert in exactly how um, the coronavirus response is going in Italy at the moment. Um, just to give you a further bit of information before you come in on that, Andy, Torino v Parma will be the first game back, followed by Verona v Cagliari. And there will just be five days between now and August the 2nd when the season is due to finish without a game. It's going to be a feast of Italian delights. It certainly is. Um, it's something to, to look forward to. Um, but in terms of having the fans back in, you know, we were talking about a unexpected side effects of uh, the way the pandemic is affecting our lives yeah. and b the use of the bundesliga as a, a, a sort of um a, a, a test for all these other other leagues i, I think that's a, appropriate in in both of these situations because mm. um if if you look at not just italy but Portugal, as we were talking about before, it's, uh, we were talking about um, the Director General of, of Health there, Graça Freitas, and, and, and she said, well, I'm, I'm not going to rule it out either. And I think both of these leagues, they're not saying they're going to do it. They're saying we're going to look at it. Yeah. And that, in terms of keeping fans on side, in terms of public support, I, I don't think that's... Um, a daft move by any stretch. Yeah, I wondered if it was just a PR message to give people a bit of hope to say, look, this is something we're thinking about. This is something that is possible and and, and wanting people to stick with them because they need to get through these the, the coming months effectively. That's, exactly. that's the way I kind of read it, yeah. It's saying, it's saying to the to ultra groups particularly, and this is obviously far more of a big deal in Italy than it is in, in, in Portugal, it's saying, we're with you. We're on your side. We want to let you in the minute it's it's safe to do that. Yeah. Is it a stretch? Yeah, it's a stretch. It's a real stretch. But, you know, I think putting the carrot out there is is, is something 
that encourages the supporters to to work with you. Mm. And then crossing over to, to Spain, um, La Liga's back on the 11th. So a week today, uh, Sevilla v Betis. Andy, I know that's a game you'll be very excited about. And then, of course, it follows on the 13th Saturday with Barcelona against Real Mallorca. Um, the Spanish look set to play games pretty much every day as well. Um, it looks to me that they feel like they've solved the problems with temperature in certain parts of the country. Weekday matches will kick up at 6.30 and 9. Well, weekend games will begin at 4, 6.30 and 9 with an extra slot at midday if it's not too hot. Presumably, these games in Seville, for example, are going to be later and that's kind of how they're approaching it. Yeah, that's right. Well, the, the, the derby uh, kicks off at 10pm um, local time. Um, right. which I, I think is is notable. They're just having lunch, right, normally? In <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, or as the head of the Spanish FA said, um, the afternoon kickoffs of 8pm or whatever he said. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's ridiculous. <laughs> All those British yeah. people were like, what, we're getting in bed by then? I mean, to, to think that, that one of the reasons that David Beckham left the, the, the Premier League was because he was pissed off having pasta for breakfast. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know what a, what a 1pm local time kickoff does to you if you you're a, a Spanish player, but I, I, th- I think this is this is quite notable actually. When you, when you look at um, the, uh, the if you look at the schedule, because of course they've released the schedule for the first two match days at the moment, and as you say, Luke, there's football on every one of the first eight days, <laughs> and there's not much to yeah. suggest that this will change going forward. Um, I, I think in terms of alarm about player safety, we have to say. There's a few matches each day. And so in that first eight days, no team plays more than twice. So that, that is important. And it is the Spanish way of televising football that they like you to be able to sit there and watch all of them consecutively if you want to. It's not like the Bundesliga or the Premier League where you have three or four on a Saturday afternoon or even five. You don't have that. The idea is in this in these delightful summer months, you should stay indoors and watch football all weekend. <laughs> and yeah. uh, that, that's that's what they're aiming at. And, you know, part of it is um, ab- about um, reclaiming, I-, I think, global audiences from, from the Bundesliga and, and, and trying to get there before the Premier League to a, a certain extent. But um, the bit of it that was surprising to a lot of people is the fact that there are 1pm local time kickoffs, which is obviously midday UK. Um, so you have that on the on the Saturday at Espanol on the first weekend and hmm. uh, on, on the Sunday at Athletic. Now, they talked about, you know, maybe having a 5 p.m. local time kickoffs for Northern Games. But this is something that's a little step ahead of that. Now, to kind of preempt the criticism, they had next to it, when they had the um, graphics which showed when the games were, what dates they were on and when they kicked off, they had um, historical temperatures at this time of day in, in this city and expected temperature at this time of the day in in, 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 in this city on this date. Um, also at the bottom, it had the disclaimer, um, all these games scheduling is um, subject to uh, climatic conditions. So again, it's sort of offering a, a little bit of a get out if there's too much. But they're causing problems for themselves, Andy, aren't they? That's the problem. They're, 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 they're essentially trying to squeeze as much as they can and do it in a way that that gets the games finished and i understand the passion to want to do that 
but they've got to be careful how much they push because clearly there's going to be a threshold when it comes to temperature in certain parts of Spain where it's just going to be impossible. And then they, have they got a contingency for that? They must have because... Um, you don't know what it is, no? It's not been announced. No. Uh, well, like, like they've said, they've given themselves a get-out that they can that, that they can yeah. change the, uh, the the kickoff times if, if, if they need to. Um, but, but, yeah, I, I think there is there is a balance that they've maybe found a bit difficult to do in terms of regaining that global audience ground and player safety i i personally think the early kickoffs is 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 a really bad idea um mm. uh, and i mean clearly that's to reach out to the asian and, and far east market and the fact that athletic versus atletico is is one of those games is is noteworthy to say the least um but like I said, in, t- in terms of there being football every day, I mean, I, I suppose there are some people out there who don't like that. Um, obviously, I'm not friends with any of them. But um, <laughs> I, I think you, you can be a bit alarmist about that. Like I said, because the, the, the Spanish leagues, not, not just plan going forward, but their plan has always been, if you, you go back and look at kickoff times in recent years, it's very rare that unless you get to like the last game of the season or the last two games of the season, it's very rare that you have games kicking off concurrently. It's always consecutively. So, you know, in terms of overloading the players, in terms of having football every day, that doesn't seem to be such a worry. Staying in Spain, Andy, um, lovely little troll on Twitter from Saul Niguez this week. Um, was it? I don't know why he did this. Was I it? I mean, yeah, he's obviously just bored, announcing that he would reveal his, in quotes, new club this week, and it sent the rumour mill into overdrive, which I did enjoy, actually, because a lot of people spent a lot of um, wasted time trying shame to shame on those people. He was going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it turns out he's just set up a new academy with his brother. I mean, it's, let's, let's be honest, it's, it is at least good, clean fun, isn't it? Is it? I, I mean, I, I remember uh, sort of tweeting at the time. I, I can't wait to figure out what he's selling a couple of days before this, and then I, then I said, "Well, actually, I can." Yeah, but did you? Why did you not do exactly what I did and head straight across on Twitter to a load of Man United fan accounts <laughs> who uh, who then got them tied up in themselves, tied, tied themselves up in knots, being so excited and wondering what was happening. I didn't quite get to the stage where they were looking at um, planes coming in and out of Manchester Airport, which was disappointing to me. But um, but anyway, it turned out to be nothing at all. But I thought it was worthy of a mention. But also, over in France, a bit of French news. And sorry to everyone because it doesn't concern Andre Villas-Boas, at least not directly. Um, Mauro Riccardi has joined PSG permanently. He signed a four-year deal at the club and he, uh, that he joined on loan last year. And it's been reported as a £50 million transfer fee. Andy, he was left out of Antonio Conte's squad at Inter, but his move to PSG has gone well enough in terms of his contribution on the pitch so far, hasn't it? Which you'd expect, actually, because um, obviously PSG, the dice are so loaded in their favour anyway that it, you wouldn't really expect anything different. But he has made a contribution there. Congratulations for breaking your record for the number of caveats in a sentence, by the way. I very much enjoyed yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And you could, you could have watched, and I should say, Andy, as well, that you could have watched his live signing for PSG on uh, Free Sports, which is now available. <laughs> BBC Alba have got it as well. <laughs> I think it's S4C, actually. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, th- 
I think it's it's worth talking of caveats. It's it's worth um, looking at the the suggestion that this is how the transfer market's going to go because, of course, Paris Saint Germain did manage to knock the fee down. They had already a very favourable clause um, of just over sixty million euros um, to sign Icardi permanently, which, when you look at him who is a guy, and forget all the other stuff that people talk about with him. And, you know, generally he's been pretty well behaved over the last couple of years, give or take his fallouts with uh, ultras at Inter in the club and et cetera, et cetera. I, I think um, when you look at them bringing the, the, the fee down, you think, ah, this is exactly how the transfer market is going to go. But this is not how the transfer market is going to go for every transfer. I think to look at this and think that, oh, okay, Manchester United are going to be able to get Jadon Sancho for 30 million less or um, uh, Paris Saint-Germain are going to, or Juventus are going to be or able Kai to... Kai Havertz is going Kai for Havertz. a tenner. Yeah. yeah it's, it's ridiculous. It, it, exactly. It's, it's nonsense because in those situations, neither Dortmund nor Leverkusen are especially compelled to sell. And those are absolutely once-in-a-lifetime generational talents that you know they can only sell once. With Icardi, um, the uh, compulsion was to, to to get it done on all sides. So with Inter, if PSG send him back, what are they going to do with him? This is bloke earning like an absolute fortune who yeah. you don't want, and not only you don't want, but he's super disruptive. And his very vocal wife-stroke agent, Wandanara, who I have to say has done an absolute blinder of a job for him, and we'll come back to that in a second. Um, she's on telly all the time, and it, it becomes a pain. You need to get rid of him. If PSG say we're going to pay you like five million, ten million less, whatever, what what can you really say? You go, oh well, there's a whole another market out there for him. Given bearing in mind that they're both unwilling to sell him to Juventus, and because of the effects of the, the, the pandemic on the current transfer market, unable to sell him to Juventus, even if they wanted to, which would have been a whole like, flurry of shit, by the way. Uh, the, you know, uh, Juventus don't have the wages, to uh, the wage structure to, to do that at the moment, even, even if they were open to it. Um, th- there's only really one game in town. So, and with Paris Saint-Germain's perspective, he's someone who knows the club, he's acclimatised, they need a replacement for Cavani, who's going, and you know what else are they going to do? Uh, like, if they want to continue building and restructuring their team, and they've done quite a good job of rebuilding the team actually since um, Leonardo's come back in, they're still interested in Adam Marusic from um, Lazio. They're still interested in Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. If you go out and buy another expensive striker at 100 million, that, that, that can't happen. So they're in a very advantageous position and I think they've they've done right to seal it. But talking of Wandanara playing an absolute blinder, they stepped in with, you know, they, they'd already agreed a, a, prince, a salary in principle with Paris Saint-Germain of 10 million euros. And she's gone to them, well, you're, you're saving a lot on this fee and mm. Mauro's doing a, a good job for you. Call it 12? And he's got, <laughs> he's got 12 million euros a year out of it. Simple as is, that. Which is which is pretty. Reminds impressive. me of my chat with you when you joined us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you know what? I really need my wife as my agent. I, I think that's the <laughs> yeah. I know. I'd, because I'd be absolutely say, hammered if that happened. She'd she definitely, she'd definitely outdo me. Serious point. A lot of the criticism 
of Wandanara is uh, rooted in sexism, misogyny. She has done brilliantly. And normally, I think you you look at you look at um, family members who are players' agents, and you just think, oh, it's a massive tax write-off, and th- there's no real reason they're there apart from you know they want the best for their boy, and you know they're they're unqualified and they're clumsy. She is very, very skilled, and she's done a great job here. And I think the thing that everyone can overlook here as well is the fact that when the shutdown happened, I think Paris Saint-Germain were having second thoughts about Ricardi. They were having a little look at it and thinking, yeah, well, when he doesn't score, he doesn't do anything, which obviously mm. we could have all, all told you beforehand. But yeah. that, that, that represents a significant drop-off in terms of Cavani, because even when Cavani's tripping over his own feet three yards from goal and that's not to knock him he's still a great goal scorer and a great player he he puts in such a shift and that's why last every time he's been on it has been begging for Diego Simeone to pull the trigger on it and and get him to go Mm. to Atletico because he's the most Atletico striker ever Mm. yeah exactly I think that's absolutely fair um yeah, it's good. It's a good move for him. It's also pretty good that she's been able to. They've been able to get the job done in in among difficult global um, conditions as well. I mean, that's that's def- that's definitely part of it too. Um, let's look. Let's quick. I mean, we're we're rapidly run out of time here. Let's let's, let's go to um, games of the week. I've I've highlighted. Uh, I mean, last week I picked out Schalke Werder Bremen in in what was the biggest race to the bottom in Europe. Uh, it turned out to be that way. Um, as you said, Andy, about David Wagner and Schalke, they managed to kind of let you down even when you think there's nowhere left to go. Uh, they're now officially <laughs> scraping the ground where the barrel used to be. Um, and that will probably continue this weekend um, when they find themselves playing away at Union Berlin. Um, but uh, Lex Poznan, zero, Lydia Warsaw, one. You said that was, I mean, you said that to me off air, but that was apparently a terrible game as well, wasn't it? Yeah, not 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 great. Not a great winning goal either, though. Um, well done, Thomas Peckhart, for scoring it from probably two centimetres out. <laughs> uh, this week I've gone for Leverkusen Bayern. And the reason for that is because uh, there are obviously some great players on display and it'll be interesting to see um, how uh, Kai Havertz gets on against against the champions elect. But also because I do think, as, as most, you know, pretty much every other fan of, of German football thinks, that Bayern Munich will win the league this season for the eighth time in a row. But, and but... If they don't win against Bayer Leverkusen this weekend, there is a kind of chink in, chink in the, in the armour and perhaps it will carry on for a few weeks longer than we expected. Um, so for me, I think the stakes are actually quite high in this game and also because Bayer Leverkusen are locked in this really tight battle with the teams around them for, for European positions this season. So I think that for me is the standout game. It's on Saturday at 2.30. I would agree, and I will be co-commentating on that on the radio on on Saturday afternoon, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Following on from, well, I'm probably not going to listen to it now. Then, all right, lovely. (laughs) I've had enough of you as it is. No, that's great. Good for you. Exciting, exciting. Following on from the the the, the Champions League stroke title race, uh, I will uh, be picking as my game of the week uh, Dortmund versus Hertha, which is the five thirty game. Yeah, test for them as well, eh? Uh, well, it really is because Hertha have been fantastic since they've come back. Um, they looked a bit flaked last week, actually, against Augsburg, and they're quite lucky to hold on and win that Augsburg really good, particularly in the second half. Um, but I think there are a couple of points. Firstly, um, that we're, we're looking at it in terms of um, 
if if Leverkusen gets something off Bayern, um, there's a chance for Dortmund to close the gap. Dortmund have to look over their shoulders as well. They're seven points off the top. They're only four points ahead of, of fifth place. It's not guaranteed they're going to get in the Champions League. Someone huge is going to miss the Champions mm. League. Obviously, there are probably people out there who think it's going to be Bayer Leverkusen, and maybe it will be. And you know, maybe if they lose this weekend to Bayern, that that would be really costly. But Leverkusen beating Bayern wouldn't necessarily be them doing Dortmund a favour, because say if Hertha no. were to 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 get something off off Dortmund, it makes it very very tight for Dortmund in in terms of Champions League. Dortmund have still got to go away to Leipzig before the end of the season. By the way, that's also worth pointing out. The other thing is the fact that um, Dortmund are without Mats Hummels this weekend. He's suspended, and he's been really terrific actually since the restart. He's he started looking like old. Mats Hummels. I mean, what it's led me to believe with his revival in form and that of Jerome Boateng, they've done some sort of back to the future business while the league has been on <laughs> hiatus because they're playing like 2014 Mats Hummels and Jerome Boateng. Amazing. Look forward to both of them. And before we go, I really want to point people in the direction of the episode we released yesterday, a Ramble Meets interview episode with Southampton captain Pierre Emil Hoiberg. Uh, Andy, you spoke to uh, the Southampton captain and Denmark midfielder. He, he um, joined you, didn't he, live from Denmark to discuss his yes. impressive, already impressive career at just 24. I mean, captain at Southampton, uh, probably one of the more underrated midfield players in the Premier League. He talks about being mentored by Pep Guardiola at Bayern before going on to develop his game further and fully establish himself in in our top flight here in England. So that is worth listening to. If you haven't, just head back to yesterday's episode and you can download that, of course, completely for free. It's a fascinating and revealing interview, Andy. If you don't mind me saying, don't mind me embarrassing you live on this show, I bloody enjoyed it. I thought you did an excellent job. So thank you very much. Thank you. I very much enjoyed it. It was absolutely terrific company. And yeah, if you're... Um excited by the Bundesliga over recent weeks like like many of us have been um, the, the bits where he talks about his football upbringing at Bayern are absolutely fascinating yeah I think if you're a Southampton fan you'll absolutely love it because it's an interview with your with your captain and if you're a Portsmouth fan you'll also absolutely love it rest assured he'll be off very soon so um, <laughs> he won't be there forever so great news all round okay thank you very much for listening to us here on, on the continent on behalf of Andy and I been a pleasure as it always is and we really appreciate your listenership and your support don't forget to check back tomorrow for the preview show with marcus and the gang uh we'll be covering all the uh, big games ahead of the weekend and doing some fun stuff as well keep it locked on football ramble daily hit the subscribe button to make sure you never miss an episode and we'll see you all again very very soon This was a Stakhanov production.